So good morning once again. As uh, Jedver told everybody, uh, Bruce has been taking some online Spanish classes and now he's testing out his Espanol next door. No, he's not. He's, uh, but he is, uh, is going to be bringing the next two messages today and next week to our Spanish group and I'm going to be here with you, Lord willing, doing the same. Um, if we would open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. This morning, as, as you may or may not be aware, the last three weeks, uh, we've started a series of studies based on mentoring, discipleship. And so three weeks, three weeks ago, we did an introduction. The last two weeks, Bruce uh, spoke on discipleship or mentoring. And he probably mentioned to you that since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about and trying to focus on mentoring, discipleship, which really is, has to do with communion. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue with that the next two weeks. And um, the title for this morning's message is Mutual Help. Mutual Help. Helping each other. You know, being part of a congregation is a very special thing. I know, I think most of us take it for granted, perhaps. Uh, You know, I grew up in church, and uh, I've, I've known some of the people that are here for most of my life, 20, 30 years even, right, since I was two, uh, do the math, uh, but I, I've, I've had that, that blessing to be able to grow up in a congregation, and I'm sure I, I somewhat take it for granted as well, but I also realize, taking a step back, how important, how essential and fundamental it is to belong to a group of believers, people that you know and people that know you people that you can be accountable to, people that if you start disappearing, missing, they're going to call you and say, hey, you know, what's going on? What's been happening? People that if you share a class and you're supposed to read chapter whatever or whatever book, you're going to come next week and you feel a little bit embarrassed if you don't read and do your homework. I grew up under that environment. It's a good, good thing because I've also seen how much I've been helped by other people. How much I've been able to help, I don't know, but I know how much people in the church have influenced me, have helped me along the way ever since I was a, a, a young individual. You know, I remember having Sunday school teachers teaching me about the Ten Commandments when I was four or five years old. I was going to say three, but I don't think I remember anything from three. Four or five years old, I remember being at church. I remember our, uh, I guess it would be a preschool teacher telling me, hey, if you memorize this, we'll take you to Disneyland. I'm pretty sure she knew we weren't going to memorize Psalms 119. Okay, no, is that what that was? But I remember that. That was that was a long time ago. That was 35, six, seven years ago. And uh, I've been blessed to have people help me in my walk with Christ. And what I want to do today is just share with you this idea of mutual help. We're going to take it out of Ephesians chapter four, but it's all over the Bible. Mentorship, discipleship. It's it's all over from beginning to end. And I want to remind you of a couple of things. The, our church's cross, cross points mission statement is that we want to glorify God by lovingly pointing people to the cross of Jesus for salvation and growth. You know what that is? Discipleship. Discipleship. And let me also say that we need to understand something very important. Discipleship is why the church exists. The Lord Jesus Christ, prior to his ascension, after his resurrection, he gave these instructions to his disciples in chapter 28 of Matthew. 
He said, I'm leaving. He said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. He could have said anything. He could have said, go and worship me. Go and sing praises to me. Go and pray all the time. Go and have awesome communion. He said, go and make disciples. If we're not making disciples, we're failing as a church. Not just as Crosspoint, but around the world. And thank God for the people that have taken that on seriously because the only reason why you're here is by God's grace, but because other people obeyed the Lord in making disciples and somebody made you a disciple, somebody shared the gospel with you. You should be grateful for that and then understand the opportunity and the blessing that comes with that to be able to make disciples ourselves. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, by definition, you are a disciple maker. If you are a disciple of Jesus, by definition, you are then a disciple maker. And I want to encourage us to do that. As a church, that's what we're trying to do. We're not going to force anybody to have a mentor. We're not going to force anybody to mentor somebody or to have fellow mentors. That's not what it's all about. We want it to be as natural as possible. And we know that when we submit to the Lordship of Christ and we obey and and get together in a congregation, those mentorship relationships are going to grow are going to come automatically. And they're already here. They're all over the place. But we feel if you put a little attention to that, we focus on that a little bit, it's going to help some of those people that maybe are on the line or maybe that have never considered what that looks like, mentorship. So this morning, the idea of mentorship, the idea of discipleship, the idea of communion can be addressed by talking about this idea of mutual help. Mutual help. So let's read this portion here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 4 and explain that, how we're going to get to that point. Now, in case I lose anybody here in the next 30 minutes, I want to tell you what my main point is. In case you say, like, what was that guy talking about? All right, here's the main point, nice and easy. The main point this morning is that God is glorified when Christians unite with the purpose of helping each other grow and serve God. God is glorified when Christians unite with the purpose of helping each other grow and serve God. That's what we're talking about. We're talking, it always comes back to God's glory. That's the most important thing. Your number one purpose in life for existing is to be able to glorify God, for He is deserving. And we're going to do that a little bit more and better by helping each other and getting this idea across of mentorship and discipleship. So let's read this. Listen to what it says. <clears throat> Ephesians four eleven through 16. I have the New King James. It says, And he himself, being him Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And here's our key verse. From whom the whole body is joined 
and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its, does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's a couple of things there. It talks about what, what every... So the Apostle Paul liked, enjoyed, and often used this analogy of the body, of a body. One living organism, but made of different parts. And all of these parts belonging to one another, like it says in Romans 12. We are indiv- we all different parts, one body, but then he says, but individually members of one another. Amazing. And then he says, if the body's going to grow, if it's going to function the way God wants it to function, it's going to be because of what every joint supplies. And then he says, uh, by the effective working by which every part does its share. So let's get this straight. If you've surrendered your life to Christ and you've been born again, you belong to God's family. Something else that happens is you belong to the body of Christ. And you're, as an individual, you belong to the body of Christ. And every believer around the world belongs to the body of Christ. But a local congregation is something special. We're a local body. And we work as a unit. And God has given us certain gifts and talents. And it says that he's the one that has given these people certain abilities and certain gifts, certain inclinations to be pastors, to be evangelists to serve, to pray, to do all these different things. And it's only when everybody understands that and everybody's willing to exercise what God has given only you to contribute to the body. And you know this. I mean, when one part of your body hurts, your whole body hurts, right? You twist an ankle, you hurt your back, you poke your eye, you, what else happened yesterday? (laughs) All this stuff just what happened yesterday at church. All right, with upward training, upward and, and, and gardening and all that stuff. All kinds of stuff happened yesterday. But you heard one part of your body, your whole body hurts. We need to understand that we belong to the body of Christ. And there are certain implications and responsibilities. And if you ever feel like, man, I don't know about our church. Uh, I don't know. Well... You can only focus to a certain extent to what God has given you. And instead of trying to change everybody else and talking about how, you know, the toe's not working right, and the, make sure that whatever God gave you, you're exercising that for the edifying of the body. That's very important because in every church, beloved, you find negative people, including Crosspoint. Don't be one of those negative ones, criticizing the church and the body's on because you are the body. You criticize the church, you're criticizing yourself. And if you feel like you're such a leader, but the church is all messed up, what I may I suggest to you, maybe you're not that great of a leader. Maybe what we need is more humility. Because you know what a leader does? He doesn't complain. Changes things. He causes change by being a good example, by edifying other people. I know we don't have too many of those, but there might be one of you out there. Or listening on the radio later on the app. All right? It may not necessarily be here. So listen, you may not hear this very often from the pulpit, but I want you to get something in your mind. This idea of dismembered bodies. Terrorist attack, and what do you see in the news? 
body parts all over the place. Jogger goes out running in Alley National Forest, and in the bushes they find body parts. How weird is that? Many years ago, I remember somebody claiming they found a piece of finger in a Pepsi can. Remember that? You guys remember that? That's why I don't drink Pepsi. I'm kidding. But here's the idea. When you see a body part without the rest of the body, isn't that weird? Strange? Unnatural? Gross? It is. I'll get that out of your head. Because really what I want you to consider is this idea that as a body, we need to be united. And when we start getting this attitude, and there's people out there that think like, well, I don't need to go to church. I could just study the Bible at home. And they talk like that. That's how they talk. I don't need to go to church. I could be holy at church, at home. I could pray at home. I could read my Bible at home. I don't need to church. That's like you trying to be a body part. That's really you, a dismembered body part, out there trying to function or exist without the rest of the body. Beloved, it doesn't work. It's not even natural. Next time you get this feeling of like, I don't want to go to church or I don't like those people or, you know, a lot of hypocrites over there and all that other stuff that that Satan wants to put in your head, just remember, you as a body part, you want to be connected to the church, to the rest of the body. If not, you're not going to function. You're not going to know what your purpose in life is. You're never going to enjoy the true fellowship that Christ came to offer us to be part of his family. And you're going to become this person that, that, that's lost. The opposite of that is somebody who enjoys coming to church, like Brother Jeffrey brought that verse from Psalms. I rejoice with those who said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Well, those who rejoice, I can't wait to come on Sunday morning to see the family. Or there's a special event, yeah, I'm there. Barbecue, sign me up. Upward, out, coach, ref, whatever. Yeah. Something else. Prayer, yeah, I'll bring the donuts. Harvest, I'll be there. I'll drive. What else have we done? Beach with the church, sure, I'll take the barbecue. I'll take some extra hot dogs. I mean, which one are you? Are you the person that rejoices because you get to spend time with the family and build each other up? Or are you the person that always sees the negative side of the beach? You know what? How long is it going to take you to get inside the beach parking lot? And it's like 90 degrees. And then somebody's got to go there early. The hassle. Don't be that one. Be the positive one. Be the one that enjoys fellowship with the family of God. All right. And don't be that dismembered body part out there that's trying to function by itself and everybody's looking at it kind of weird like, oh, call the police. Something wrong with that. Something wrong with that. All right. Let's talk about mentorship and discipleship. So look at what it says here. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11. Paul's telling us, hey, you got to work as a body. He says, he put everybody in their place. I hope you realize, or I hope that the reason why you come to Crosspoint is because you believe and you know that God has you here. And that God has you here for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose is to exercise your gift, to build each other up, and to bless other people so that God will be glorified. If you don't know that, you're in trouble. You need to get that straightened out. Find out if this is where God wants you. And once you know that God wants you here, then you know that you're needed, 
that we love you, we want you, because we know that you're part of the body, and you, when you function right, and everybody else does its part, we're going to grow. Stop thinking like, why can't we be like that church? That church. Look at these mega churches, and how cool would it be to have a football field in our, like, who cares about that? Make sure you're in the right place, and if you know you're in the right place, you got to give it your all. You got to give it your all, and then we're going to grow. And even if it's not in numbers, we're going to grow an impact in our community, community around us, in the world. And it's going to be awesome for God's glory. So he's the one that gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For, the, for what reason? Why did Christ give us these gifts? For the equipping of the saints. You're supposed to be equipped. Remember the mission statement? To glorify God by lovingly pointing people to the cross of Jesus for salvation. If you're saved, praise God. But then also for growth. You need to be growing. You need to be growing. Being equipped for the saints, for the work of the ministry. Be involved in the work. For what? For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. That's all. You know what it says? All? Everybody? All? That's where we need the mutual help. The church should never be a place where some outstanding people run the place and everybody else just comes to listen. Our desire as the leadership of the church is to see everybody grow to the potential that God has you here for in this earth. We want to help you find out what God has you here. We want to equip you. We want to teach you. We want to try to be examples to you and bring you along as other people have done for us. But everybody, and for that, we need everybody. You know, the seven elders can't reach 150, 200 people plus the people that don't even come to your congregation that we minister to. It's got to be everybody. 13. Till we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of His Son, the Son of God, to a perfect man. That's our goal, perfection, to be like Christ. Oh my, but I'm never going to get there. That's right. Not till we have our new bodies in heaven. But until then, we work hard towards that. To a perfect man, to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's why, beloved, there shouldn't be any prideful or arrogant people in the church. And if you are one of those, you need to stop it. How dare you think that you're better than anybody else? Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Compare yourself to Christ. That's your goal. Stop acting like you're anything more special than other people. We're going to talk about that. That's, that's very important, beloved. Thank God for people who have been in the church for 30, 40, 50 years. And they, the older they get, the more mature, the more humble they become. That's how it should be. Your head should be getting smaller, not bigger, as you grow in Christ. The more you learn, the more you realize, whoa, Christ is awesome. He's way out there. I'm not even close. You start comparing yourself to the standard, there is no time for arrogance. And pride. Verse 14. That we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. There's a lot of weird teaching out there. We want you to be grounded in the word. It says that there's trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking truth and love. God wants us to grow up in all things into him who is the head. Christ. Let me wrap this portion up. From whom the whole body is joined. We need to be united and knit together by what every joint supplies. 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So the question becomes, all right, Mike, mutual help. We've got to all help each other. We want to grow. Our standard is way out there. We all need help. How do we get there? For that, and really the bulk of my message is going to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, um, 4, chapter 4. And before that, we're going to look at 320. So if you have your Bibles, turn a page back. You might be there already. So look at Ephesians 321. It says, To God, to Him be the glory of, in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That has to be our motive, our end goal. The glory of God. It says that to Him, to God the Father, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So if you know a little bit about, the, about Paul's writing uh, style, is that he would write letters, and usually the beginning of the letter, he would talk a lot about doctrine and teaching. And then somewhere along the line, he would transition from teaching and doctrine to application and practical living. So in Ephesians, there's six chapters. The first three chapters are doctrine and teaching. And he ends, it with talk, he ends the doctrinal part by saying that all glory belongs to God through the church. And then he begins chapter 1, which is, all right, now that you know all this good stuff, how do we put it into practice? And that's what I want to use to say, if we're going to be able to help each other and create this culture of mutual help, you want to call it discipleship, you want to call it mentoring, it doesn't matter. If we want to create this atmosphere where we help each other, not criticize each other, we build each other up, not tear each other down, this is how it's going to happen. I got three points. We're going to get them all from chapter 4, the first couple of verses. Paul says, after doing some amazing teaching, he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, he was literally in jail, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So he says, okay, I taught you. Now put it into practice. Walk the walk. And he says, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Verse 2, this is our, our meat right here. It says, with all lowliness, he's describing it. How are you going to walk the walk? How, are, how is mutual, mutual help going to help is, exist? By exercising lowliness. Another word for lowliness is humility. Humility. If unity is going to exist, if mutual help is going to flourish in our church, there's got to be, first of all, humility. Let me talk a little bit about humility or lowliness. Being mild-spirited and self-controlled. Why do, we, why do we need humility for a discipleship mentoring program somewhere where mutual help is going to flourish? Uh, the first thing is that you need humility to understand that you need help. How are we gonna? How is mutual help gonna exist if half of us think we don't need help and all we can do is help other people, but we don't need help? That mutual help is not gonna exist. You have to be humble enough to realize that you're not where God wants you to be, and that you have a long way to go. And then you're gonna be able to receive help. So the first thing we need to do is say, none of us are where God wants us to be. Therefore, we all need help. we got to start there with some humility and understand that 
whether you're a teenager, a young adult, whether you've been in church all your life, uh, doesn't matter where you're at. None of us are where we should be. And so we need humility to accept the fact that we all need help. Humility. That's hard, beloved. That's hard. Especially if you've been at church for a long time, and especially if you've been a ministry leader for a while, it's hard to get out of that, I'm here to help, instead of, yeah, I'm here to help, but I also need help as well. We could get caught up in the, in the doing and the doing and forget about the being. We need humility. If you, don't have, you can't be humble enough to accept the fact that you need help, you're going to have all kinds of issues. And you're not going to grow. And you're certainly not going to help us with this mutual help idea. You also need, and, and Jesus is our, our, our best example. It says that he humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The creator of the universe was born in a manger. To poor parents. Nobody really knew about it. He had to announce his own birth and only some people paid attention. Talk about humility. Our Lord Jesus Christ is our example of humility. You also need humility not just to accept the fact that you need help, but you also need humility to look for and ask for help. So it's one thing to realize, okay, yeah, I agree. I'm not where I should be. Okay, can you take it to the next step and say, now I need to look for help and when I find it, I need to ask. You know, two weeks ago, something beautiful happened in our Spanish service. One of the brothers stands up. He's helping us with the, uh, we asked him to help us with our uh, doing the announcements. And once he's done with the announcements, I see that he's kind of getting a little nervous. I'm like, what's going on? And he says, uh, from, from the pulpit, he says, um, and you know, now that we're here and, uh, and that I'm up here, I want to publicly just, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this mentorship idea and I want to ask, and he called out the brother that was there. He said, I, I would like to ask my brother if he would be my mentor. And I got a little teary-eyed, like I'm getting teary-eyed right now. I said, man, that takes humility. That takes humility to be able to say, I know I need help. And I see this brother who's been in the faith much longer than I. And then in front of everybody, he said, it almost felt like a, like a wedding proposal kind of thing, like... I almost got up and threw on my tux and started <laughs> conducting some kind of ceremony. I felt like I had to do something there. But he just said, hey, you know, brother, I would like to ask. And, and he was kind of choking up too. It was, it was something important for him. And he was really taking it as a, like this, it was, it was a real special thing. But beloved, it needs, it requires humility to be able to say, I, I do need help. Yeah, even if I've been here 30 years and I, I'm not where I should be, I need help. And then look around. Now, you know you really need humility. If you look around, you don't see anybody that you think could help you. All right? I need somebody to help me. Like, no, no. Mm-mm, no. Hey, Mike, there's nobody here that could help me. All right, just give me a call. I'll give you Rick Warren's number or John MacArthur's church address. If, if you can't find anybody that's here that could help you because you're just way up there, then maybe we could find you somebody else. But you probably have some issues that need to be addressed in regards to humility and pride. All right. You need faith. I mean, I'm sorry. You need humility to accept the fact that you need help, to look for help and to ask for help. But also you need humility to help others, beloved. Why is that? In a mentorship relationship, it might get a little dirty. It might get a little ugly. 
You know, we're, by mentoring, we're not saying just like, hey, how's everything going? Good? All right, see you later. No, no, but I need help. Oh, no, I got to talk to you. It's, you're going to get involved in their life. And you're going to have to expose yourself and be transparent with that person. And I think that's what sometimes keeps us from mentoring other people. Because you're going to have to say, here, I'm letting you into my life. And guess what? It's not all pretty. I don't have it all together. And I know that that keeps us, some of us from, from reaching out to people and creating those personal relationships because we got stuff that we want to keep hiding. And you can't hide it. The Lord already knows it. Stop hiding it. You're just killing yourself trying to pretend like you got it all together. None of us do. We already established that. We all need help. None of us are where we should be. Let's get that straight. Let's get that out of the way. Now let's be willing to be humble enough to realize that we need help. Humble enough to look for and ask for help. And be humble enough to say, I'm going to help you. Even if it means opening up my home, opening up my life, opening up my struggles with you. Because that's how I'm going to help you. It's got to be a real relationship. And for that, it requires humility. All right? Not only does it require humility, but it also requires gentleness. Verse 2 again. He says... With all lowliness or humility and gentleness. This word gentleness, meekness is needed if there's going to be unity in the church and if there's going to be mentorship, discipleship relationships. Why meekness? Well, nobody's going to want to be uh, mentored by somebody who they feel is, is judging them or criticizing them or condemning them. Right? When we throw this idea out there, hey, mentorship, look for somebody to mentor you. You should have, if you've been around for a while, you should have people already coming around and asking you, like, hey, you know, I would like for you to mentor me. If they haven't, you have to ask yourself the question, why? And if people don't see you as a meek individual with humility or gentleness, they're not going to come and ask. They'll go ask somebody else. There's got to be gentleness. Can't be a harsh individual. Well, I tell the truth. That's wonderful. Tell it with love. And tell it to yourself first. Because look, beloved, we all know this. People could read you. People could read you in the first five minutes when they meet you. Sometimes we get it wrong, and certain people can change. But I had this awesome professor. I don't remember anything about him except this. He said, who you are is what you teach. And that, beloved, is worth a million bucks. One of my child development classes. He said, secular school? I was at Cal State LA. And he says, who you are is what you teach. But I want to teach math. Well, who you are is what you teach. Especially in the church. Who you are is what you teach. Not what you say. Not how much you know. It's who you are is what you teach. And this morning's men's group, Brother Jeffrey reminded us, he said, uh, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. All right? If you've been around, let's work on that gentleness, that meekness. Jesus is a perfect example. Come to me, all who are tired, heavy burdened. I'll take, I'll take your burdens. Take my cross. And then he says, 
For I am humble and gentle. And I just slaughtered that verse. But you know what it is, right? Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He says, come to me. I am meek. The Lord Jesus Christ, he was strong, but he was also meek. He's the creator of everything, but he was humble. You need meekness. It's not going to work if we're walking around acting like we know everything over this or that. I'm a warrior. Like, don't let somebody else call you that. Don't call yourself that. All right? If, if you have to make a sign and stand out there like, I'm available for mentoring, there's probably, <laughs> there's probably some work that needs to be done before God can use you as a mentor. All right? Anybody? No? Gentleness and meekness. And the last thing, because we're out of time, as we always do, is long-suffering. It says here, verse 2. It says, with all lowliness or humility, with gentleness and with long-suffering. Patient. Long-suffering. Why would we need long-suffering or patience when we're dealing with other people? Anybody know? Any clue? Right? Any married couples? Anybody have children? Yes. Anybody served at church at all? You, need, you, need, you know you need patience. You know you need long-suffering. And by the way, if you're thinking like, oh, I'm not any of those things. Galatians chapter 5 will do it for you. Verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, beloved. If you're not any of these things, then you need to take that up with the Lord and say, God, where are you? Because you're not here or you're not manifesting your fruit in my life. What's going on? And I say that sincerely, beloved. How do you know you're a Christian if the fruit of the Spirit is not, if the Spirit is not bearing fruit in your life? Love, joy, peace. Patience, long-suffering, kindness, self-control. Where are those? Well, I don't have any of those, but I go to church. I go to church and I listen to Charles Stanley on the radio. Where, are the, where is the fruit? And when you see the fruit, it's the same stuff that is going to get us to be united in the church and be able to have this mutual help environment and be able to have a mentorship or discipleship program. It's no secret. We're not trying to invent anything. We're just trying to bring light to the fact that, hey, if we're believers in Christ, disciples of the Lord, this is what should be happening. And if it hasn't been happening in your life or as a church, then we've been missing the boat. And that's why we need instruction from the Word. But you need long-suffering. It's resolved patience. Why? Well, people, com- people will, make, will continue to make mistakes. You know, you're mentoring somebody... And, and you start feeling like you do with your children, if you have children. You feel like their behavior is a reflection on your parenting. All right? So you're at the, at the market or something, and a kid starts misbehaving. You're like, oh, goodness, stop it. You, and you're really concerned because it's, it's embarrassing to you. All right? People are going to be like, ugh, no manners. Bad parent. <laughs> Spoiled child. Bad parenting. So when you start mentoring somebody, I'm talking to the mentors, you got to realize you need patience, long-suffering, because people are going to continue making mistakes. And you're not here to control anybody. You're not even here to change anyone. You're here to offer help. And sometimes people are going to be in a place in their life where they don't want help. But you stay there anyway. Right? The prodigal son, beautiful. 
But the dad lets him go. But he didn't forget about him. Every night, just waiting for that son to come back. When you mentor somebody, you got to have that patience. You can't just, I told you to do that. You did the opposite. You know what? Forget it. See you later. Find somebody else. You kid. That's, that's not being patient or having long suffering. You're going to need patience. Because you see that, you see that our Lord Jesus Christ is patient with us. My goodness, what would happen if he wasn't patient with us? I would dare say, none of us would be here. This place would be empty. He would have taken us all home already. God is patient and long-suffering. Remember Peter? <sighs> Lord, I'll follow you to the death. Nice, Peter. Good job. That's what I want for my disciples. And then this little girl's like, aren't you one of, one, of, one of those disciples? No. And then this lady, yeah, you're one of them. I've seen you. No. Yeah, you are. And starts swearing. And what did the Lord do? Give up on Peter? He didn't give up on Peter. He doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on me. For that, we praise him. He's patient and kind and long-suffering. We need to be the same. Remember the disciples? Not just Peter, but the disciples. Just using examples of how the Lord didn't give up on some of these people. people women or, or parents were bringing their children to the Lord to bless them and to maybe... And the disciples start preventing the parents from bringing the kids to the Lord. Instead of allowing people to come to the Lord, the disciples are literally hushing away the kids. Get out of here. Don't bother the master. And the Lord gets upset at, him, at them. He says, what are you doing? That's what we're here for. And over and over, the disciples kept making mistakes. So what I'm saying is, whoever you, if the Lord grants you uh, somebody to disciple, to mentor, they're going to continue making mistakes. And just remember that you continue making mistakes and the Lord is forgiving, the Lord is patient with you, and the Lord is long-suffering, and we need to extend that to everybody else. That's what Paul says. If there's going to be unity in the church, it's going to be because we walk in humility and patience and long-suffering. I mean, Judas, three years with the Lord. He heard everything. He saw the miracles. And all this time, Judas in his heart was never really willing to surrender his life to the Lord. He had other plans. He had his own plans. So you need to be patient. Some of us are like, oh, I'm not patient. I mean, if I were to ask you right now, how many of you guys are patient? I would expect only about two hands to raise their hands, two people to raise their hands. Most of us will probably admit the fact that we're not very patient. Right? But we need patience towards one another. If you find yourself being impatient towards people in the church, don't wait for them to change. Mike, I will be a lot more patient if these people got them back together. I will be patient except for my kids. They don't help me any. Right? I would be patient if my wife was to, if my husband was different, I'd be a much more patient person. What if God put those people in your life so that you can learn some patience? And you're just failing the test over and over. Complain about it. It's like, the Lord's like, how do we do a patient study? Uh, fail again. Okay. Send out another one. Why don't you just, let's learn the lesson now. Let's learn the lesson now. 
You got to be patient. But it's going to help you to be patient if you realize that God is patient with you. If you're real about where you're at and how you miss the mark, even as a Christian, and God is forgiving, that's going to help you. Don't try to force yourself to be patient. Don't try to force yourself to be humble. And don't try to force yourself to be meek. Surrender your life to Christ. Let Him live and bear fruit through you in your life. And you're going to become a new person. And that's the whole point. God said, I'll take your, your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. You must be born again. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed. Behold, all things are new. Where is it? Let's ask the Lord for that, for that evidence of our salvation, because that's what it comes down to, beloved. These are fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is in you. These things need to be coming out naturally. And when we do that, we're going to see this mutual help in our church. And when we see this mutual help, we're gonna, all going to grow. And when we all grow, we're going to help other people grow. And they're going to help other people grow. And the body of Christ will build itself up by what all of you bring in. What, by exercising the gift that God has given you. When you start bringing that into the body, the body's going to grow. And when the body grows, the church grows, the kingdom grows, and God is glorified when people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's what we're here for. In the meantime, mutual help. Who are you helping? Who's helping you? And find some people that can help each other. At least one person that can help you. At least one person that you can help. And at least a couple of people that can help you. All right? If you're not there yet, let's start working towards that. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, again, we are grateful to you for allowing us to spend this special time meditating in your word, hearing from you, and looking at this idea of how you want to be glorified through the church, the body of Christ, and how we have the privilege of being part of that and being able to contribute towards that. We ask for forgiveness for our sins and trespasses, for any pride or arrogance that has gone in the way of us being disciples of yours or making disciples as well. We ask that you would take that away from us and that we would humbly come to you at the feet of the cross of our Lord Jesus and rededicate our life to you or dedicate our life to you, Father, knowing that that's where we will find true fulfillment and purpose in our lives, all for your honor and glory. We thank you. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.